Hello, this is Peter Jonathan Robertson with the 55th episode of the PJ Archive. It's a phone interview I did with the France-based English singer, songwriter, actress and model Jane Birkin. Best known for her relationship with Serge Gainsbourg and their unforgettable hit song Je t'aime, moi non plus. She memorably appeared in movies such as Blow Up, Slogan, Death on the Nile, and Evil Under the Sun. Jane Birkin died in 2023 at the age of 76. My interview with her took place 10 years earlier, in 2013, ahead of appearances she was making at the Barbican in London. She started by telling me about the day that changed her life. The day I did the audition for Slogan in France, and I must have been 20, and I had Kate with me, my, my baby Kate, and John Barry, and I, I just fled to France for one, one afternoon to do the, uh, the audition for Slogan. I couldn't speak French really? very well, and I remember crying during the, during the test. But afterwards, uh, Serge Gainsbourg and the director, Pierre Gramblat, said she's the one. Huh? which meant that Marisa Besançon wasn't used and they, they decided to use me. And, and on any other, I mean, I did masses of, uh, of auditions in my life. But that one actually changed my life completely because instead of living in England for the rest of my life, it would mean that because of meeting Serge Gainsbourg, uh, I would live in France for the rest of my life, that I'd have the career that I had, which was hardly expected at all from someone who had just done... Uh, carving a statue in Passion Flower Hotel. I don't know whether I would have done anything in England, perhaps a telly or two, or yeah. whether I had enough character to even be very much in demand. Whereas because I was English and living in France, then I was somewhat more of a curiosity. And and it meant that I had my second daughter, Charlotte Gainsbourg. It meant that later on I stayed on in France and had Lou and had the extraordinary career in the theatre and in the cinema that I've had in France, mm -hmm. not to mention the songs, because yeah. it therefore meant that I would do Je t'aime non plus, that it meant that 20 years after Je t'aime non plus, I'd pack the houses out in Hong Kong and Jakarta just because you're the girl that did Je t'aime non plus, even though it's with Arab musicians. It's just, it just changed my entire life, that, that, uh, that afternoon doing the, what they call in France an essay, it's an, it's an audition, yeah. a filmed audition. A film test, in other words. What did it involve that day? It, it involved trying to learn three scenes, which I couldn't really... Um, I tried to with, with Gramblas' Chinese Valley. I tried to understand the words, but I couldn't speak French, so it was, I expect it was simply dreadful. They keep showing it on television because I think it was quite dreadful, but quite amusing. Yeah. And then in the end of the screen test on the third scene, I just started to say things like... Um, I want to go home or something, I don't know. <laughs> Anyhow, it just meant that I cried an awful lot, mixing up my private life and the misery of having been left by John Barry, probably. And Serge thought that was really rather disgusting to mix up your private life and being an actress. But he had to admit that I cried really well. <laughs> and so he didn't, he could have said, I don't want her. I'd heard the audition that he had just done with Marisa Berenson, and she was absolutely great. And I should think that Serge would have preferred to have Marisa Berenson because... She was stunning and, and very, very good. But it was the director who wanted me. And Serge posed no objection, whereas he could have done. Right. And that was very fortunate as things turned out. I mean, I don't know what they would have turned out, if not, if you see what I mean. It's just yeah. a day that changes your life. Then 
Yes, I mean, it completely changed. It's changed the direction, but for better or worse, because it, what would have happened in England, I don't know. And bearing in mind, you know, as you say, you are English, from an English family, you didn't speak French. Um, yeah. Were there any connections in your past to France at all prior to that? Certainly, because my father during the war worked with the French resistance. Right. So he had the Bretons in high esteem, because when he used to pick them up on nights without any moons, I was telling an English journalist the other day it would make a great uh, telly for very young people, you know, series of these English uh, people like my father at 25 years old being a navigator going to the Breton coast on nights without moons and picking up the aviators that had been brought onto the beaches by the French resistance who'd been hiding them in their attic for a month, mm. waiting for another night with no moon. Their courage was absolutely unbelievable. One died yesterday and I wrote the preface for his funeral today. Mm. And it's... Uh, they were, I mean, they used to have their neighbours who used to count the eggshells, so they could have been denounced at any moment. And they used to keep, they kept Guy Hamilton, another, uh, who happened to be uh, just like my father working in the, in the Navy, kept him for a month because he'd broken his arm or something. So they, they kept him in the attic and then brought them all down into the onto the beach. So my father had enormous respect for the French resistance and keeping up all this, not knowing who would win the war for four years until until they got the germans out but i mean it's it it was certainly um it was certainly an immense love of the french and i did go to a french finishing school where of course i didn't learn any french because i was with six other english girls and we lived in an apartment on the boulevard lan which was in fact the apartment where edith piaf died when edith piaf did die uh, i'd got a little pass that meant that i could go past the big queue of people that were queuing up to see Edith Piaf dead, as the French do in their tradition. And I just showed the pass so that I'd get through and get into our apartment, which wasn't luxurious at all. It was the last story in, in the house. And, uh, and I think there were six of us English girls there with Madame Pouget and his, her two Pekingeses. <laughs> and um, when I showed the pass, people whispered, saying, c'est Françoise Hardy. So I thought, oh my gosh, they think I'm Françoise Hardy. Yeah. I just keep my trap shut. Because uh, I'll, if I open my mouth, they'll realize that I'm not. So I'd already been there because my father wanted me to learn French. So if there was any country in the world that my father was for me living in, or that there was any o opening towards, it would be France. And how long did you live in Paris at that point? I think I lived, lived there for about four months. The right. idea was to make French truffles and to, and to be able to polish off our education, as they say, to pick up some... Um, wonderful English husband. In fact, directly I hit England on the way back. I, I asked my mother whether I could go up for auditions and I auditioned for another audition when I was 17 for carving a statue, Graham Greene's play with Sir Ralph Richardson and I got it, what's more, which meant that I didn't have to be a debutante, I didn't have to go all through all that thing, yes. which I wouldn't have liked anyway, but that, but that was the, I suppose the point of going to France was to polish off some sort of Oh, I don't know. I wasn't very bright at school, so some sort of education maybe had been the plan. I don't know, but I know that that's why my father said, oh, France, France, when it was, where shall she go? And how comfortable had you been living in England as a child? Oh, terribly. I mean, uh, I was, I had the most wonderful, wonderful childhood with, with my elder brother Andrew and my little sister Linda. And... Uh, just heaven, heavenly holidays in the Isle of Wight, heavenly times in Nottingham with my grandma, heaven, uh, j just just with my brother and sister. It was just the most 
lovely thing, perhaps made even more lovely by the fact of hideous boarding school for my brother, which meant that one appreciated the holidays a hundred times more. It was so painful to see him have to go when he was six years old, that awful English education. And then I too would go, and my little sister too, to the Isle of Wight. And the relief of getting back to Kensington and leaving all that behind was, was mighty great. It was one of those childhoods. It was, it, was, it was extraordinarily happy and very, very, very English. Bearing in mind your dad had a great affection for the French, um, was he very proud of the fact that you made a terrific career over there? I think he was terribly proud. And I kept on my postcards that I found uh, when I was in Boulevard Land, I was saying, oh, I hope one day I'm able to speak French like Pa and people will look at me with the same admiration. And so, I, yes, I think that... I think that my father, who had been my sort of hero, uh, uh, he was terribly pleased. He used to come on to all my films, and that let my mother, Judy Campbell, do plays in London because I knew she was aching to get onto the theatre, and my father was so jealous that my only plan was to get him off onto my films, which was gorgeous to have him on Murder on the Nile and all, 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 all the films he was on. And, uh, and it let my mother whiz to the West End and to be in plays. Do I take it your dad's no longer with us, or your parents aren't? Neither are, are with us, and they were both extraordinarily unexpected. With Chute Mon Plus, I think it reminded my mother of uh, when she was with Eric Mashwitz, who wrote her A Nightingale Sang in Berkeley Square. And I think that she always thought that it was strange that both our careers started off with a song, really. And she was an actress, you know, she was one of the most brilliant, most beautiful actresses in London. And my father... I just stuck up for me loyally as always and, and it was with him that I went on marches against the death penalty in England. It was with him uh, that I went on Sunday afternoons when he was a probation officer that he tried to get boys not to go to prison for first offences that we wrote to the Home Office against the death penalty. He, was, he signed me up with amnesty when I was uh, 17. So, so he, he has been the, re the reason for all the humanitarian things I've done. When did you lose your parents, Jane? I lost my father three days after Serge died. In 1991, he was trying to catch the aeroplane for the funeral, and he died the night before. So that was two of them gone in, in not even a week. And then my mother, I suppose, I'm writing about her now. I'm trying to write a play about her. And I think it's terrible not to know precisely, but I think it was about six, seven years ago. Hmm. And she was the person who inspired or had the song Nightingale sung? Oh, no, it was written for her by really? Eric Mashwitz, who was her oh, lover before my father. Incredible. And she inspired these foolish things. And oh, really? Noel Couch, she was his leading lady. So what a horrible surprise for her parents when she married my father, who was very chic and everything, but all the same, he whizzed her straight off into the country where she couldn't lay her feet onto a stage. <laughs> because his great plan was to take her away from all that. And, of course, she should have protested a bit more... But given that she wanted to sort of get into that sort of, uh, I don't know, life, yeah. uh, she didn't do it enough. So thank goodness my father did die, and thank goodness that gave my mother not very long, but about nine, ten years to get back into the theatre to go and play one-woman shows in the King's Head pub and uh, do what she really loved at night. And she said, you know... Are you shocked? And I said, no. And of course I meant yes. <laughs> and she said, I'm only doing things I couldn't do with your father. And thank goodness at 80, there she was, absolutely stunning on the stage. And the writing paper had gone back to uh, Judy Campbell and not Mrs. David Birkin anymore. And, and I realized how important it is for people to 
stick to their guns and do what they really love. Mm. Because how frustrating it must have been not to do that. I only realized after, because I didn't even realize at the time that she was particularly an actress. We weren't mm. allowed to go and see her plays. So, I mean, we weren't allowed to. I mean, it just didn't come along that we ever saw them until we were quite grown up. What made you decide to go to France to audition for Slogan? Well, I was on the King's Road, as, as was my want, with a lot of other girls, like, I don't know, uh, I should think Charlotte Rampling, uh, Jackie Bissett. We'd all been in the knack together, I mean, on the stairs. And uh, I think it was just sort of a general call to all English girls of that particular age, of being about sort of 19, 20, 21. And Granblat, who was this Frenchman, had just come over for the day and wanted to see all the English girls that looked as if they would... Uh, who might have been a possibility for his film with his mm. uh, gorgeous star, Serge Gainsbourg. Mm. And so I was just waiting upstairs with all the other girls. And I remember coming downstairs and I think Juste Jacquin was there, who's the one who made Emmanuel, mm -hmm. and told Grambler, the girl you're looking for is upstairs, apparently, he'd said. Anyhow, by the time I came down, I told him that I could have a leg operation to get my bandy legs straight mm. and uh, I don't know I made him laugh mm. and he said come over to France and I said well I can't do that immediately I've got a baby and I'm mm. living with my parents so he said well the day after tomorrow so I said okay and went to Paris hence this audition and w what was the first moment you met Serge what was that like well I thought he was absolutely ghastly why but he seemed to be so arrogant and sure of himself and sarcastic to boot and he was wearing a mauve shirt. And I could just tell also, it was my fault in that I knew that Marisa Berenson had been just wonderful just before. Though with the few words I'd cobbled up with the Chinese valet, I knew I wasn't going to be that great anyway. And I think that for Serge, at the end of an afternoon of um, doing screen tests, to have somebody who's come over from England that can't speak French at all and is dressed up in some sort of dolly dress, I must have looked a very ridiculous and stupid sight and probably he didn't see much point to it, I should think. Anyhow, that's the way he looked. But he was quite decent in that he whispered one of the words to me that I'd forgotten. <laughs> and uh, so he was pretty chic all the same. And bearing in mind you became extremely close for a very long period of time, did he ever yeah. tell you in later life uh, of the moment, uh, what he thought when he first met you? Do you know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I think that he thought that it was, as I told you, um, mixing up everything was very typical of actresses. He just had an affair with Bardo, so he was very pissed off with their theatrical world anyway, you know. Mm. So girls that start to blub about their private life uh, and mix up all that to get parts in the films, I, I don't know. I, he, he, I think he was fairly cheesed off anyway. He had recorded Je t'aime en plus with her. Yes. Given she was married to Gunter Sachs, she'd asked him not to bring it out. And she'd gone off with somebody else in Almeria, so their affair had only lasted three months. But right. it had hit the headlines in some big way, which was very embarrassing for her, given that she was married. Yeah. But he stayed friends until his death with, with Bardo's. Yeah. No, there was no bad feeling whatsoever. He was very gentlemanly in that he didn't bring out the record. Yeah. And he just waited until Good Self did it a year later. Right. As it wasn't a clot either. <laughs> and and so when when he saw me, then I suppose he just... He was just a bit jaded, you know, when people don't care that much. He was 20 years older than me, and he'd seen a lot of other girls. So, I don't know. I, 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 think, I think that, I, I mean, I just know that he went on being in love all his life and bought me a diamond three days before dying. Therefore, I couldn't have had someone who loved, loved me greater, really. Mm. 
But on the other hand, what, why did he find me attractive after such a bad beginning? I have no idea, except that he was still reeling from the pain from Bardo, and I was still reeling from the pain of John Barry. So it wasn't quite as simple as people always want to make, you know, beginnings, in that I certainly wasn't looking for anybody and felt I was such a failure with John Barry going off to Los Angeles and leaving me with no phone number and just with my very dear baby. Mm. And I'd gone back to live with my parents. So I didn't exactly feel 100% success myself. I felt I hadn't been able to keep my hands on the man I loved and who was the most gorgeous thing in the world. So I wasn't looking out for Serge Gainsbourg. I didn't know who he was, and I didn't know that he'd written any music, and I think that rather pissed him off too. He felt that he was rather well-known in France, and who was this idiot who came from England who didn't know anything about him? So that plus the mauve, the mauve shirt, <laughs> and having just done a rather good screen test with Marisa Benz, and I should, I should think he wasn't in a frightfully good mood. Hmm. And when So you worked with him on uh, Slogan, and... Well, uh, then I went back, and then there was the revolution in 68... Right. And so the film was put off for a month. And then when I went back to Paris, there was that extraordinary dinner with Serge, you know, when I, I felt I was getting on so badly with him that I'd asked our director to fix up a, a dinner so that I could explain to him that really I didn't care about doing the film at all. But it was just extremely embarrassing to have to pretend to be in love with this person when obviously he was so pissed off all the time. Mm -hmm. So then I asked him to dance, and then he walked on my feet, and then, you know, the whole thing started when I realized that it was in fact because he was incredibly shy. And all the delightful sides of his character, like being terrifically shy, terrifically... Uh, everything that I'd taken for being arrogance wasn't at all. It was just self-defense. Because he'd been so hurt before. When did you kind of get together on a personal level, the two of you? I suppose about a month into the film, and the film must have lasted two months. But directly we went to Venice, because I, I left my baby in London so that I went off to, to Venice to film the week that we were supposed to, that was in the film. And I think I wrote a postcard to Gabrielle Crawford, my best friend, saying, I just can't believe it. I'm, I, you know, I'm climbing up the lamppost. It's so wonderful to be with, with Serge. And he'd managed to... Um, to rub out all the sadness, all the feeling of defeat, every, everything. And it was just so wildly romantic to be in Venice with him at Harry's Bar and him sending Bellinis, you know, those those cocktails with uh, yeah. with champagne, with I love you on the little mats, you know, because of him, him writing with his, with his pen he always had in his pocket. And the, mm. I just felt as if I was, uh, that I was gorgeous, mm. whereas I'd felt very contrary to being gorgeous at all and he told me he loved people that looked half like a boy and half like a girl <laughs> so all the mockery of boarding school was suddenly effaced i thought this is wonderful no one yeah. could ever say that they could say that it didn't matter but they couldn't say that they actually preferred that mm -hmm. did he worry about the age gap at all at the time i didn't at all i didn't in fact serge always considered himself as being old right. i don't know why so he always thought that it was fun to let the little one laugh or fun to bring the little one to a nightclub or fun yeah. to do this with the little one. So I was always considered as being a little one until, fact, in fact, I left him. And after that, he did look very old. Was he always romantic towards you? Yes. He was, he was both. He was romantic and um, terrifyingly boisterous. <laughs> you know, he, he had a grain of, uh, of Russian uh, Slav madness. So he was either crying in front of a candle and uh, mopping up the tears, or, or he was suddenly unbearably uh, screaming at me in recording studios, or 
I don't know. Mm. It could turn it could turn one way or the other quite quickly, mm. thanks to a lot of drink. There's always these rumours that uh, he and Bardo got it together when they were recording Jetem, and then there was the, the uh, same... Before, before. They were in love before, and that's when she asked him whether he'd write the most romantic song he could think of, and he wrote her Jetem en plus, which in fact was a music he'd used for a film before mm. that was called Les Coeurs Verts. And that, so he already had the music, in fact, right. which is a very, very uh, coming piece of music because it's da 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 da. Uh, you know, directly you sort of say just four of those notes so yes. people know where they were that day. Yeah. And uh, Je t'aime non plus means I love you, nor do I, because he was with the most beautiful girl in the world. I think that he couldn't really believe that she loved him. Yeah. Hence the I love you, nor do I. <laughs> he replies. Yeah. And how did you get on with her? Terribly well. I did uh, Don Juan with her. She was an absolute darling, and she still writes to me because I give money to her dogs association. In France, she's probably been the only person that thought about cruelty to animals. So, although she has a dubious private life uh, with rather doubtful characters, her actual humanitarian side for... She brought in the humane killer for animals in the abattoirs. Mm -hmm. She stuck up for animals that are, I don't know, she saved two elephants the other day. She, no one cares about cruelty in France. They care if it changes the food or they've eaten too many hormones, but nobody thinks about those poor racehorses that just must have been so disappointed in man to actually be taken off in a, in a cart and uh, to the abattoir after they'd raced so well under human hands and been so friendly with men. But that doesn't seem to cross anybody's mind. It's just that they were stuffed with hormones and, and people worry about their own stomachs. But Barbie was the one that made people have a sort of moral conscience. Not much, not hmm. much of a moral conscience because people consider her as being animal mad because, because human beings have been so disappointing to her, which I think is true too. Well, people but probably assume there was a rivalry between you and jealousy. Was that not the case? No, 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 not, not one second. Not, if anything, I felt rather awful. I mean, she just turned down a song, and when I did it, it went to number one and was banned by the Pope, and everyone was talking about it, and mm. she never had it in for me for that. She can turn something down, but rather hope it's not going to be a success, or just turn it down and not think that the other person's actually going to do it within <laughs> within 12 months, you know. And uh, suddenly there he went. So, no. Serge rang me up much later on in life when I was with Jacques and said, I've got bad news for you. So I said, well, speak up fast then in mm. that case. And he said, well, Bardo's rung me and you know what Bardo's like. She wants, to, she wants money for her poor old dogs. And so <laughs> he said, I, I have to bring out the original version of Je t'aime non plus. He did sort of think, oh my gosh, then now people will prefer the first version. But in fact, they didn't because what was unfair was that the, the version you remember is the version that was a success. And her wonderful, rather rather sensual, more sensual in a way, more womanly, let's mm. say, which was an octave lower than me. So Serge played with me on being a choir boy, singing very, very high. So the two versions are very different. But when I yeah. was in bed with her for Don Juan, we were supposed to, the, the director said, sing a song or something together because <laughs> he didn't know what we were supposed to be doing in bed and we didn't know either. So <laughs> we felt a bit daft being naked and I, I tried to wind myself around her legs so that people would think that the, my, her feet were my feet because they were so much more beautiful. And uh, when the suggestion of a little song came along, Bardo said cheekily, why don't we sing Je t'aime non plus? <laughs> that made me feel so somewhat uneasy. So I said, let's sing... My Bonnie Lies Over the Ocean. So we sang My Bonnie Lies Over the Ocean. 
<laughs> a lot of people have uh, commented on the fact that she hasn't had plastic surgery and tried to make herself look young, that she looks naturally old. What, what's your thoughts on that? And what's your... I have no thoughts on that. I think she's somebody who didn't want to go on doing her career and had absolutely no ambition, and that was rather the attractive side of her. I think that she just she gave up films. Well, in fact, the film I did with her was the last film she ever made. So there you go. The nerve you're, 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 and you want to go on seducing people or or you give up like she did and you take a different road. But I think she was so beautiful that people were envious of her. And uh, I know in the street when she had to cry for the scene in a car, when we came out of the car, uh, she'd been crying. So, of course, she'd got a slightly red face and people mm. were delighted. And they said, oh, look, it's Bardo. She's looking so dreadful and everything like that. And I thought, God, are people cruel? Mm. And they were cruel to her because she was dangerous because she, she could have nicked their husband. Yeah. Whereas they were very kind to me because I was with Serge, so I was no risk whatsoever. Why did Serge never become your husband? Why did you never marry? Because I didn't want to get married. I'd been married to John Barry. That was quite enough. But how did he feel about that? Did he want to marry you? He wanted you? to get married. He wanted to get married. He'd fixed it all up in the Gare du Nord, not the Gare de Lyon. It right. was going to be an enormous thing when we were going to be dressed up like Proust. And did he propose and you turned him down? Yes. Blimey. Tell me about the proposal. It was at the Gare du Nord. My brother was there. He got me all worked up about having a blood test. And I don't know why, I just got very cross that I was going to have to have a blood test, whereas I just had Charlotte, so I thought, what is this thing with the blood test, as if I wasn't good enough to... I don't know, I took everything very bad that day. And then it all looked as if it was going to be an enormous publicity stunt with so many uh, people of the press turning up and things like that, whereas if I, we got married, it would have been nice in a sneaky way, but not, not to have it all sort of become another big publicity thing. So it was the blood test and the publicity thing that put me off. And so I said no that day. Why did you need a blood test? I'm confused. Because when you get married in France, you have a blood test, I suppose, to see whether really? you're compatible for children. Wow, I didn't know that. But you already had a child by then. That's what I mean. That's yeah. why I took it badly. Yeah, I should say so. And 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 Serge said, what, you can't spare a drop of blood for me? We got oh. into that sort of state. Oh, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> and how did he feel really about... silly when you think about it. I rather regret it. Yeah. Uh, would you rather regret turning him down? Yes, I've done many more stupid things in my life than turning Serge down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, I imagine he was absolutely thrilled when you had Charlotte. He was more than thrilled. He walked all the way from the, from the clinic where she had all her blood uh, uh, changed because I was negative, so she was born and had to have blood transfers and mm. she had three in the Middlesex Hospital and he walked from the Middlesex Hospital right back to Cheney Row, past mm. Buckingham Palace. He said it was the happiest night of his life. As a dad, I imagine he was wonderful. He was fantastic. She has many of his characteristics, I'm uh, glad to say. She's like no one else in the earth, Charlotte. Mysterious girl. Is she? Okay. Yes, very mysterious. And that's very nice because you get fed up with the other actresses. You've seen them doing absolutely everything. And with Charlotte, every new film is a mystery. Was he keen? And she absorbs light. It must be rather disagreeable to be her partner because there's no place on the screen but for her. <laughs> and she just does that thing. It just happens. The camera's fallen in love with her. So I'm longing for the next Lars von Trier's film because she'll be absorbed by light again. And, and how did Serge feel about her going into acting? Well, it was my suggestion that she went into acting because she was going to do a record with him. Right. called Lemon Incest, and I thought that she should do a film at the same time as I could see she wanted to be an actress because she wanted to be on the film I was making with uh, Jacques Doyon, and that couldn't, couldn't have been possible because of Serge. So I got wind that 
there was another film with Catherine Deneuve, so I put up Charlotte for it, and she got the she got the screen test, hmm. and that's really what started her off being an actress. At 12 years old, she got the Best Actress of the Year award with that. And uh, so it was very clear that that would be her way. Mm. And I think Serge was immensely proud, but still only wanted the things that he did with her to be the successes. So he made a film called Charlotte Forever, and he wanted that to be su the success, not the films with Miller. Mm. He didn't count anybody as much as himself. He wanted to be the one that marked her. And in a way, in songs, he certainly did with Lemon Incest. And with the video clips they did together, he just died much too soon. She was yeah. only 19. So, yes, he was writing the music for her film that she did with Blié. But uh, far what? too soon, far too soon. Absolutely. What, what were your happiest times with Serge? Well, nearly all the times. I mean, <laughs> you're talking 20 years. Yeah. And being his friend for longer than that, until he died. Perhaps the more ex exceptional of, uh, of anything was to have retained that, that he wanted to go on being your friend and wanted to go on writing songs for you and wanted to go on writing records for for one. I was so surprised and I kept on saying, you don't have to, you don't have to. And he said, I owe it to you, I owe it to you. And, and he wrote me these bijous of pain that mm. was his pain. And so it was a very strange relationship from from Baby Alone in Babylon, from, from the record when, when we were no longer together. Before that, it had been, I don't know, I suppose about 12 years of, of blissful happiness, with, with them getting less and less happy towards the end because of, just apart from other things of, of uh, I don't know, drink, I suppose. Is that the reason why it didn't work out between you? Why no, I think everything's more complicated than that. It didn't help. I think one could put a vast de degree of fault onto Pernod, okay. and perhaps on my good self, because after all, I was the one that left him. And I was the one that found other people attractive suddenly. I suppose that's when the 20 years difference suddenly makes a difference and you, and you fight for your own independence suddenly. Sounds like you broke his heart. I hope not, but it's possible. I fought for my own freedom and to have my own life, which is exactly what I did. And I didn't want to be his doll anymore. Do you think he ever got over you? Yes, because he had, he had Lulu and he had Bamboo. So he tried hard. The song that I sing in this show that I'll do in London, which is one thing amongst other things that you don't know, is that you had the very best of me. I well. think that's very true. Do you find it hard to sing his songs and not get choked? No, because it's been 20 years now, and he would have been 88 now. No, 86. So now I don't feel it hard because I've kept it up for 20 years. And at the beginning, it was really hard when he died, because every single personal message in those songs um, made it difficult without him. But but now I don't think about it. I just I think of different ways of orchestrating things, or having these brilliant um, arabesque orchestrations, or the Japanese, or how to do Serge in a different way. Yes. And my missions become really how to get him to the other side of the world where people don't even speak French to mm. Hong Kong, Jakarta, to Australia, and uh, in South Korea to have them bring out Melody Nelson this month because of me being there uh, three times in a row and having recorded the last thing with the Japanese in South Korea. Then I think that uh, uh, for his professional self after he died, um, I've done as best as I could. 
And if I could get him translated into English, that would be the last thing that I would like to do in okay. German and in English. But it seems a crying shame that people don't know what the lyrics are about. So is this, in a way, you paying him back for all the yes. kindness? And are you with anyone now? No, I, I was with the writer Olivier Rollin until a very short time ago. Do you think you'll ever get married again? I have no idea. Do you think you'll ever return to the UK to live, or are you in France for no. life? No, I don't think so, and I don't think my children will either. In that, I mean, it's lovely to go to London. I avoid where my mother used to live, so, so as not to be... I'm not a sucker for pain. So I go to my, my sister, who I adore in, in Teddington. I just nip onto the tube and go straight to Teddington, <laughs> and straight to my sister's arms, which is the nicest thing in the world. And uh, for Christmas, I'm going to uh, North Wales to my brother. Okay. That, that's the fun things of England. But it's, it's not anything else. No. It's not, I mean, it's, I miss my parents. I miss, I miss them being in the house. So uh, I'd love to work in England. And it's been fun every time I did, what's more. And so it's certainly not by lack of wanting to do things in England. It's just to live in England. I think I wouldn't be used to not people not knowing you as if you're part of the furniture. I think that could be... It's okay for a week or two. But I'm so terribly spoilt here that it would be um, unhonest to say that I'm used to not being spoiled because it's not true. Taxis suddenly put their light on when they see you and they take mm. you even though they were going to go home. Uh, you get a little packet over your door for somebody, some Japanese who've been passing by the house and, and leave little messages. People smile when you smile at them in the street. People cross over the road because they've seen you in something. And it, it's, not, it's not sort of, um, I don't know, it's, it's not gooey. It's mm. not nasty. It's just... It, if you're feeling a bit miserable and people smile at you, it's rather nice, as you can imagine. In England, people say, so what have you done for the last 20 years? Ah, oh, so you've done a film, but it never came out. And what yeah. have you done in the theatre? Oh, we never saw it. Then then it's sort of, it, it's, it's not inspiring for a, it means that you don't go out of the, the house laughing. Yeah, I once visited Serge's grave in Paris, actually, and I wondered mm. if, how often you go there. I don't go there very often. I planted some flowers the other day, but I, I don't like going there. But what? he's got his father and his mother in there, too, so I can think of them, too. Might you be and there? I buried him there, and I found the space, and I found this plot, and put him exactly close to his mother and father. I thought that's what he'd like. And might you be there one day? I hope so. Is that what you want? Not in his, not in his. He'd be frightfully cross. <laughs> I never liked anybody to pinch his light. No, no, I'd be under a tree somewhere else, in calling distance. And how satisfied are you with your career and your life? Do you have any regrets? I'm never particularly satisfied. Right. But that doesn't matter, because then you strive for something else. And regrets? I can... Regrets can't play a part in it either, really. Right. You have to make the most of everything. Even things that haven't turned out, you have to think, well, it was perhaps for something else. And usually there is something else. How do you want people to remember you after you've gone, Jane? I don't think that will matter very much, because people will take their own... They'll take what they want. And I should think it'll be je t'aime non plus. Yeah. So it doesn't bother you that you'll be most associated with Serge. That's, that's a good thing. It's not a good or a bad thing. It's just, it's just uh, very likely. How would you like people to remember him? With admiration. <laughs>